You're listening to the Let's Talk Strata podcast hosted by Mark Mercier. Whether you're a tenant, lot owner, caretaker or industry professional, this podcast is for anyone connected with a body corporate or strata title. Tune in every fortnight to hear thought-provoking discussions with industry leaders and experts on topics both practical and technical that will spark your interest. Welcome to the Let's Talk Strata podcast. We're joined here today with Frank Higginson, who is the partner and director of Heinz Legal here in Brisbane. Now, Frank leads a team that specialises in two key areas of strata law, the first being body corporate law and management rights. His team are considered experts in Queensland in all areas of strata law. Now, Frank is a fellow of the Australian College of Community Lawyers and is admitted in Queensland, New South Wales, the High Court of Australia, as well as England and Wales. He's also one of the few panel lawyers to ARAMA, the peak management rights body here in Queensland and indeed Australia. And uh, Frank, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you on board today. Thank you for coming. No worries at all, Mark. Now, uh, Frank, how did you get into strata law? I always ask this to guests and there's always a common thread, but what's your story? I'd like to say that it was always a childhood desire to do it, but I can't really put my (laughs) hand on my heart and say that. Uh, It's one of those things where uh, I finished school, I did five-year articles, I did my law degree externally, and I worked at a firm on the Gold Coast that was, like most Gold Coast firms, general practices, but they had a specific strata focus. So over that Mm. time, you do everything property-related, and probably as I get older, so probably from the early 2000s, I started to do a lot of management rights work, body mm. corporate work fell out of the back of that in the terms of you're dealing with strata managers who thought you were okay to deal with, and it yeah. just, um, as I got more and more of that, I started carving off the other stuff. So as much as I could do all other property things, I don't do it anymore. Yeah, and, and certainly body corporate law is something that's just blossomed in the last few years, yeah. hasn't it? Yep. I mean, it's expanded, there are specialisations out there, and indeed, Heinz Legal, your firm does pretty much just strata law mostly, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my team of uh, probably about eight or nine people is probably half body corporate, pure body corporate, sort of half management rights, and then there's bits and pieces that sort of converge between the both at the back end. Mm-hmm. The other half of our practice is aged care, which is also going okay at the moment with the Royal oh, Commission, nice. but it's sort of the theme of the practice is people living in density. Yeah. But, yeah, my stuff is, is purely strata. Yeah. And, and of course, strata law is one of those interesting areas of law where there's so many pieces of legislation that feed into it, like anything from anti-discrimination to construction building, building act. Yep. Um, how do you deal with all of those uh, pieces? Empl- employment law was one I was helping yesterday. Yeah. So uh, a big building doesn't have management rights but has two employees and they've got issues with one of the employees. Mm. So um, you've got to be a little bit nimble, I suppose, and you've yeah. also got to recognise what you don't know. And yeah. I think probably the, the older I get the more I think knowing what you don't know is 90% of the battle because then you Mm. can engage the right people to help you, refer it off um, or fumble your way through it if you choose to do so. But Mm. it's the uh, charging into things blindly without knowing what the answers are and without knowing the risk that causes the grief in legal practice. Yeah, and it's also uh, embodied corporate law about being creative and and Mm. seeing, you know, what pieces of legislation actually apply. Yep. Now, in your work from a day-to-day basis, what, what are you seeing out there these days in terms of the, the hot topics, the, the issues that are bothering people in, in communities? Uh, from a, it's still lots of bylaw stuff, really. Um, and probably if there's a macro theme for me, it's probably the inability to sort of calm your farm, mm. see it from the other person's side and not knee-jerk respond to things. Because it's sort mm. of 
Like if you and I decide that we don't like each other, mm. we never have to see each other again. Mm. You unsubscribe of my newsletters. Mm. I don't send any work mm. your way. It's done. Mm. In a community, particularly where you're an owner-occupier, you can't do that. You see mm. people in the lift and the foyer and the pool and whatever. So you've got that constant reminder of whatever that friction was. And when that friction is created by be that a late-night email, be that accusing someone of something, whether they did it or not, um, but something that's sort of relatively hot-headed, it becomes really, really hard to back off from that without a sincere and deep apology, which people then get entrenched and don't do. Mm. And dead set, I reckon that is the genesis for most strata disputes. Yeah, Something that goes wrong emotionally, not even legally, just emotionally, emotional response to something that could have been handled differently, and then everyone gets entrenched and everyone picks sides and then the fights are on. Yeah. So be that then... Uh, enforcing pets someone's got something on their balcony that the bylaws say they shouldn't have the curtains aren't backed by the right color Uh, in a management right sense it's very easy in terms of whether you're doing the caretaking duties the right way or the wrong way or the interpretation of them so that's where it starts and i don't know also this time of year everyone's had enough and that's in a business and a personal sense so if you've got stuff like from a business perspective absolutely everyone's at the end of their tether Mm. you bring that home and you have that one little emotional outburst it doesn't help either Mm. and and then it just leads to all sorts of carnage which doesn't need to be there if people just slowed down yeah and and the legislation is very prescriptive so there's a lot there to pick at isn't there absolutely and if you want to go around being a sort of um strata warrior for want of a better phrase in terms of picking faults with everything you've got to find them oh yeah it's just that's the reality of it i mean even there's that um I think district court decision a little, well, probably 10 or so years ago, I think it was Chen and Wishart Village. Mm, I mean, you oh, wrote yes. the book on it, yeah, so literally, yeah, yeah. Uh, about this stuff is so mm. prescriptive, it's impossible to get right. Yeah, so if you want to go picking technical irregularities, you're going to win every time. Mm. And that's where I get to clients in terms of they come talking to me about, you know, a motion that didn't have the right quorum or I haven't got a copy of the minutes within seven days or whatever it might be. My advice always is attack the substance of the motion, not the technicalities relating to the entry into it. Yeah. Um, and that's where people need to go. And it is... You know, a big piece of legislation, it's complicated. People think it's easy, uh, but there's so many nooks and crannies that uh, you can fall down and not understand and miss something on the other side, mm. and, and that's what the Commissioner's Office deals with all day, every oh, day. Yeah, well, it's a just and equitable jurisdiction, but hmm. I, I recall a book, uh, Getting to Yes. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Fisher yep. and Yuri, uh, you know, separate the people from the problem. Yep. I don't think people always do that, do no. they? No, and when, when it's your home, I understand why. Mm. You know, you're emotionally invested in the place that you live. It's not a a workplace where you can leave or a sporting club where you can leave or a golf course where you can Mm -hmm. walk off and pretend that's happened. You're there and you're living it. So I can see how it happens. Mm -hmm. And um, I say to my team, you know, this industry, industry market um, client type can be frustrating at times uh, because they can be unsophisticated. I mean, your whole uh, qualification to get on committee is to put your hand up and say, yes, I'm here. So regardless of where you've been in your life, what your experiences are. Um, and I think for me, sometimes the most dangerous committee members are where that's the peak of their professional career mm-hmm. um, and they treat it accordingly. But like once you are on a committee, to me, you can be, with respect, like an employer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? From an employer's perspective, I can't run around abusing people, calling them things, uh, treating them unfairly, um, ignoring them, brushing them, sending them late-night emails, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Committee members do that all the time. Yeah. Um, and it might be out of frustration. It might be for reasons that are frustrating, but you've got to be able to put that hat on and say, well, I'm actually now, even though you're a volunteer, a sort of professional coordinator in a professional degree of responsibility, as much as there's not much accountability under the Act. Mm. Um, and if you handle it that way, um, that will reduce a lot of pain. Yeah. But a lot of people don't. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the code of conduct's the only thing that uh, we've got to go by, isn't well, it? And what's that worth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're very general provisions yeah, in there, aren't they? absolutely. And, and I get that thrown at me all the time, and I can put my hand on my heart and say I've never, ever run a, run a matter using the code of conduct as the base. Mm. If, if you want to get a particular outcome, there's a bunch of other ways you can do it. I suppose that's that creativity you're talking yeah, about. So yeah. you get certainly clients uh, coming to you all the time raising code of conduct issues. Well, no, what do you want? Well, I want this. Well, this is the way you get there. It's not that way. Mm. I mean, sometimes um, uh, committee members don't know what they want. So I guess that's mm. where you guys come into Absolutely. the picture and try and figure out, put the puzzle together. Yes. Yeah, and it is. You know, it's sort of a now, where, how? Where are we now? Where do we want to get to? How do we get there? And then the other thing for me, uh, particularly from that sophistication perspective for people without business experience and mm. particularly without strata dispute experience, oh, which yeah. is the majority of people, is that's not realistic. Yeah. Where you're trying to go is you are not going to get there. And, I mean, you come in talking about, um, let's go to uh, ground zero, management rights disputes, management rights terminations. That is really, really, really hard to get to. Absolutely. And QCAT is littered with cases of bodies corporates getting smoked. Um, and you do look at some of those decisions, and those bodies corporate should never have been there because they should have attacked that problem a different way. Mm-hmm. So termination, for me, of management rights is just, you know, absolutely there's a theoretical possibility of it happening, uh, but there are a number of other different ways to skin that banana that mm-hmm. don't lead to the manager losing their entire investment and the bank stepping in as receivers, which is what's going to happen in theory if you win. Mm. So you win, but you don't win. And when they don't win, the relationship's damaged, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's so. gone. And um, you look at the recent one of the Grange. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's gonna, that body corporate is going to wear hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own costs, plus the manager's costs now, and that never should have been run, in mm. my opinion. Mm. Yeah, it's a difficult um, uh, situation to really gauge as a committee member because mm. you don't appreciate the legal costs no. in the future. Yep. So, really, it requires a lot of soft skills, perhaps, uh, yes. interpersonal skills, which uh, are hard to acquire sometimes. Well, yeah. I mean, we all get uh, qualified as lawyers. We don't get qualified as business people. We certainly don't get qualified as managing people's emotional intelligence or tested on it ourselves. So, mm. um, And to me, a good lawyer is one that will actually not just rely on the client to tell them what to do. They will guide the client around, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. And that's in a legal sense, you know. So I'm not talking about, you come to me on a management rights transaction, I'm not going to talk to you about price. Am I paying too much for this? I don't know. I'm not Mm -hmm. a valuer. That's for you to assess away you go. In terms of we want to achieve this outcome, that is not the way to do it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I say to clients all the time that uh, from a litigation perspective, when this is finished, there will be blood all over the floor Mm -hmm. and none of it will be mine. It will be yours. So even if you win, you're still going to pay your costs. Yeah. You might get some of them back, but you're still going to get punished for it. And I don't think uh, people that have ever been through or not been through litigation understand the true costs that have come with it. So like from there's the absolute the dollars and cents, but there's also the emotional cost because it's stressful. Yeah. Um, and, and it takes a bucket load of time. You know what I mean? Like lawyers can't. We don't create um, the instructions. We need all the background. People need to invest the time to give all the background, be involved in giving instructions, Mm. go to hearings and all that sort of stuff that takes an enormous amount of time. So the emotional cost um, and the time cost are probably just as important as the dollar cost. Oh, absolutely. And then you hope that the instructions you get are, Mm. you know, in line with what you've suggested. Yeah, and are accurate. And, and emotional and yeah. give you everything that you need to know. Yeah. Because there's always um, 
as you drift through these things, you know, there's sort of there's three sides to every story. There's yours, there's theirs, and there's actually probably what actually happened Reality. in the middle, which is a bit of each. Yeah. So, and I've walked into um, like I really, to a degree, I think, pride myself on trying to settle things because mm-hmm. that is actually the best outcome. That is much better than running the gauntlet of litigation because I've walked into hearings with clients thinking we're going to win and we lose and thinking we're going to lose and we win. And it does depend on how the, the member or the judge gets out of bed on the day. Yeah. depends on how they view your your actual witnesses. It depends on their personal experiences in terms of what they've had in the past. So you just never know. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately in litigation, there's no 50-50. It's you win or you lose. Um, and that sometimes can come down to a coin toss. And sometimes they both lose. They? Yeah. Well, and the, the clients the day, really. are always going to lose. They're always yeah. going to spend money. Yeah. And time to get there, and then you look at appeals, and you look at the stress on the community. It's just um, just something to be avoided. Yeah. I mean, and, and yes, the courts are there as a last resort, but that is it. It needs to be a last resort than a first resort. If your only uh, way to solve your dispute is litigation, then that's just a bad place to be. That yeah. should be part of the way to get you to where you need to go. It was interesting talking to Chris Irons um, oh, you know, yeah. in a prior episode, and uh, the amount of applications that are coming through are increasing quite significantly yep. and uh, that tells me that perhaps um, committee members lot owners are getting a little bit more educated but there's a lot more to to be done there isn't there yeah yeah and chris um i got a lot of time for chris i think mm. um from a commissioner's office perspective he genuinely cares yeah for me this isn't just a a government job and a bureaucracy he, he believes it he understands it he sees the need for the services that his office offers um, and and now he's going through the program in terms of where there's more resources and the rest of it. Because, I mean, when you do look back at it, what other uh, court or jurisdiction offers a help service for people that are litigating in it? Yeah, it's it amazing, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but the education side of things is you go back um, 10 years, we all didn't have phones walking around yeah. with Google and all the information That's on right. it. So. And that probably, from a bylaw perspective particularly, I mean, I've got sick of, well, I don't have this conversation anymore, but I used to get sick of having the conversation where you might have a bylaw that say no pets. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's no such thing as a pet-free building in Queensland, no. as we all know. But you have a no pets bylaw. You say to the committee, well, you can't have a no pets bylaw. It's invalid. Oh, we'll just leave it in there. Mm-hmm. And if someone calls us on it, we'll just back down. You mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. Because no. if you Google can a body bylaw prohibit pets you get our article that has been hit a thousand times mm-hmm. so you can't yeah. get away with um running people over anymore by telling them lies yeah and that is a good thing about the internet and google oh, and, yeah. and and certainly the resources on chris owen's office i mean we've got uh, 10 years worth of articles there now which write mm-hmm. about a whole range of things mm-hmm. and that um is only going to continue to grow yeah. but it does uh, I think some people can see something and say that's what the answer is. And I thought, well, no, and back to where we started in terms of there's a whole bunch of stuff converging here and back to what is just and equitable. You might have a relatively similar set of circumstances, but the decision can go a different way because of whatever nuances have been involved in that particular committee's decision-making or otherwise. So mm-hmm. there's still, for me, an art in putting together a proper application and cutting through for the benefit of the adjudicator in terms of what the issue actually is, Mm. which a lot of clients um, have an inability to do because they're emotionally involved in whatever the problem actually is. So, I mean, that's obviously subjective things in terms of why engage a lawyer. But you've only got to um, look at some of the applications that we see that we act on behalf of body corporates for, you know, filed by individual applicants. And they're just nightmarish in a sense. Mm -hmm. Here's two inches worth of paperwork, Mm -hmm. which could have been done in three pages if 
they had have just grasped what the issue was. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, there are other moving parts here. There's the mm. body corporate manager mm. who instructs you yep. uh, and has to put things together. Yep. What's been your experience in dealing with managers that way? Like lawyers, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I suppose uh, for me, what I say to clients all the time is, you know, and, and I think managers get... Uh, pilloried fairly unfairly from time to time in terms of the body corporate manager's doing this to me, the body corporate manager's doing this to her. It's like, no, they're not. Usually, nine times out of ten, they're acting on instructions. So um, we get a fair bit of random inquiry off the internet, um, Google and searches and all that sort of stuff. And everyone who comes in and says, I've got a problem with whoever it is, I ring them and say, are you sure it is them? Because it may well not be them. And this is why. Oh, yeah, no, actually it's not. So, But from a body corporate manager's perspective, um, I mean, you're obviously a unique beast in terms of you're legally qualified and trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not many out there that are that, mm-hmm. as much as some like to think they are. Yeah. Um, and there's the odd one we're unscrambling now where, and I suppose I'm back up a level, the pricing for the delivery of strata management services via body corporate managers in Queensland is appalling. Oh, absolutely. Um, the industry doesn't value itself the way it should. Mm-hmm. You know, And I suppose lawyers are great at valuing themselves, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, to the other extreme in some sense. Mm-hmm. But you talk to any um, strata manager, they're still quoting dollar values per lot per annum that they were doing 20 years ago yeah. or less. Yeah. Uh, and they, I couldn't recall another industry that would be like that from a professional services perspective. So, and now, why that's happening, whatever. Uh, but inside that scope, then, you do have lots of strata managers who have bucket loads of experience. But with that price cutting to me or that cost consciousness, sometimes comes the desire to keep things as cheap as possible. And in that, and again, this is a very subjective thing, jobs for lawyers, but they start going beyond A, what they're engaged to do and B, what they're qualified to do. So you go back to your standard administrative contract, it's X, Y, and Z, it's general meetings, committee meetings, levy recovery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't include the provision of legal advice, but what these committees will be saying to strata managers is, well, you know the answer, do this. It's like, well, and some of them do. Mm. And some of them at some stage will come unstuck and some of them, um, are frightened to actually go and get legal advice because they know the answer is going to be not what the committee wants to hear and yeah. then that potentially exposes their engagement. And I suppose that's to a degree why um, part of our pitch sometimes to strata managers is I'm happy to wear the black hat. Mm-hmm. You can come to me, I will tell them what they don't want to hear. That is not you then delivering it. And if I don't get another job, that's okay. Mm-hmm. My whole business is one-off jobs, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so from a strata management perspective, good, bad and different, obviously a bunch of different models, uh, but it really... I think, like anything, does depend not on the brand or the organisation, but the individual. Yeah. So yeah. you can come to Heinz Legal. If I had a fleet of first-year graduate lawyers providing body corporate advice, it would be a terrible experience. But you come in, you get me, I know what I'm doing. Yes, I price myself accordingly, but I think then you get the service you're actually paying for. Hmm. Um, it's not sort of that one-size-fits-all. So, um, And strata managers say to clients, you have to be aware that sometimes they're not obliged to give you all this additional stuff you're looking for. And particularly from a non-committee perspective sometimes is, why is this happening? Well, the strata manager's job is not to tell the committee what to do. They're to act on instructions the same as we are. Mm. So they may well be saying, as I sometimes do to clients, I don't think you should do this, but then they go and do it regardless. And that's the client doing it then. So shooting strata managers sometimes is shooting the messenger as opposed to the person that loaded the bullet. Yeah. And it's about managing expectations as well. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And and, and certainly from a legal perspective, Mm. when they don't hear what they want to hear, hmm. uh, it, it can be a difficult uh, yep. situation there. Yep. 
Absolutely. You've got to get instructions from mm. your committee to act in a certain way. What happens when you get an instruction that you don't think should should ride that way? Subject to what it is, uh, we might terminate the retainer and walk away. You mm. know, So I suppose as lawyers, our first duty is to the court, second duty is to our clients, third, well, in theory is to ourselves, but after mm. those first two, there's not much <laughs> else. So if, say, for example, come someone, well, we had one a pet one the other day. You know, no bylaw, pet, no pet bylaw. We want to say no to a pet. Uh, the owner's made the application. The owner's going to win. Said to the committee, I can't possibly act for you and defend this because there is no defence. No. Your only defence is we don't want pets in the building, which is not a defence. No. So we're not going to waste anyone's time. We're not going to go and run that in the commissioner's office because that's actually a breach of our ethical duties in my book. So if there's an arguable case, absolutely. You know what I mean? If there's 50-50, if we're... Having an argument about whether a committee acted reasonably or otherwise, and there's always grey worth running, but in this particular one, there was no chance, so we're wasting time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to charge you to lose. Well, effectively, that's yeah, what it that's is. That's what it is, it? yeah. Here's a couple of grand and we lost, because yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So if they find someone else to do it for them, then more power to them, but it's not going to be us. You know. So there's a little bit of branding, and I think probably, for me, this is a very long-term play. This isn't a... I want to, you know, make as much money as I can and retire tomorrow because that's not what it's about. It's a, mm. it's a big long-term solution. So your brand is very, very important in terms of not wasting people's time. And so at some stage, I'd suspect the strata manager probably respects that decision. Um, we're not going to have a decision in the commission's office where we get belted and we look like Muppets in there because mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. You know, the judicator say, why on earth did these guys run this? So just not interested in doing it. Mm. So, And if the clients don't like the advice that we give, then go get another lawyer. Let's turn to some applications that you common, commonly see in the Commissioner's Office. So you've got urgent applications, you've yep. got, well, you've got the conciliation yep. service there, mm-hmm. uh, which is a precursor to um, adjudication. Yep. You guys would invariably get involved at the adjudication yes. point, mostly. Yes. Sometimes we do the application, then it gets farmed off for conciliation, then comes back when it doesn't sort itself out. But yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. So dealing with urgent applications, mm-hmm. what's been your experience there? Because uh, there's practice directions in place for uh, interim, urgent, yep. and then emergency expenditure. Yeah. Um, so I suppose uh, <laughs> for me, what people think are urgent and what actually is urgent can be two different things quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've let something sit for 12 months and then now it needs to be dealt with urgently, that is not urgent. That's Uh-oh. very clear from the practice direction mm-hmm. perspective. Probably the example I use, though, for this one, uh, tennis and Reach. So Tennis and Reach got mm. um, smashed in the floods in 2011. Oh, yeah. So first floor went under, carnage everywhere. Mervac still owned a quarter of the building. Mm. So um, what do we do? So I think the rectification works there were estimated at sort of three or four mil. So from a that was a genuine interim urgent. So what we mm. did, made an application to have a general meeting convened on seven days' notice with the, the, ability, the ability to dispense for the need for two quotes for the work because Mervac mm-hmm. volunteered to do it at cost. Um, and that we got that in less than 24 hours. You know, mm-hmm. we filed it sort of on one afternoon and we had it mid-morning the next morning. Mm-hmm. So handled right, they're okay. Um, but then again, uh, one of the things uh, we didn't get this job, and I, know, well, I don't know why, uh, in... North Queensland at the moment, the insurance stuff is just oh, horrific. It's crazy, isn't it? So mm. we had um, one client of, well, one potential client of 50 lots, basically 50 grand a year insurance. That's just jumped to 500. <laughs> so you've gone from um, 500? Yeah, it was 500. So the insurance is um, 10 times what it was. Yeah. So two grand a year for insurance. 
per lot now. So that um, policy needs to be paid by the 1st of February and we're now 20th of December. So by the time you muck around and call general meetings and raise levies and actually have the money in the tin, there's not Mm. enough time. So Mm. that was one that to me would have justified an application for the waiver of the time limits for the calling of a general meeting, the striking of levies and the requirements for people to pay it. Uh, The client's just gone and done it off their own bat. Right. So we're going to do it without sanction. I said, okay, well, at some stage, uh, if someone blows up, you might still get to the same outcome, but in middle of January, you've got to have a fight. Yeah. So they've gone and run that gauntlet. So that would be one. But mm. um, but yeah, probably, I think for me, the, the urgency stuff um, has to be urgent for reasons that are really beyond your control and management. Mm. And the interim orders, the, the, the old faithful is people seeking the same orders on an interim basis that they do on a final, which then doesn't make an interim. Mm. You've got to, you know, sort of interim is really like an injunction. Hold the status quo do something until we get this final one and um, you know, management rights sense the typical one would be not act on the termination a decision to terminate an agreement but mind you they're on QCAT now mm-hmm. but don't terminate until we have a final hearing which yeah. is two separate things. Yeah so you've got to show that the body corporate's going to be put to some detriment and cost mm. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what about some tips for body corporate managers or committees thinking that they might run a case like that uh, an urgent application? Uh what would they get, need to do to instruct you guys? Get organised first. Um, so for me, what we'd want to know is, again, I suppose back to what are we seeking? Um, why is it urgent? What material have we got to support it? So again, if we're going to go and seek authorities to spend, have we got two quotes? If we haven't got two quotes, why haven't we got two quotes? You know, it's sort of, is there only one contractor that's done all this work for the last 20 years and therefore they're the ones that know intimately the building? By the time we go get another person to quote it, it's mm. going to take forever, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then probably be uh, realistic to a degree about time. Well, timing's okay, but it's just a matter of, and I suppose this is where the lawyer comes into it, that Mm. assessment of the circumstances to make sure it is genuinely urgent and not something you just want done quickly or not something that's come out as a matter of urgency because you've sat on your hands. Mm. And that, that to me, would be the two things, really, to make sure is the the case. And the reality is that, not nine times out of ten, but initial phone conversation in terms of we want to do this urgently, why? (laughs) You know what the answer's going to be. And I suppose we've run enough of them now that you get a general feel for what the response from the Commissioner's Office is going to be. So um, I think we're reasonably good at predicting that won't fly or that will fly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a wealth of decisions out there. Absolutely. There yep, yeah, yeah, and practice directions. And, um, yeah, there's no... To me, it, it is usually pretty clear whether you're going to get away with it or not. Mm. There's not a whole lot of grey in those ones these days. What about management rights? Mm. I'm sure you get lots of contractual disputes, yep. about performance, about uh, you know maybe um, variations, and whether you know what the caretaker seeking is is reasonable. Yep. What's been your experience with um, managing management rights relationships? Yeah. Um, the perfect the perfect, and I mean we're one of those firms that does both. So they don't think too many, well, I don't think anyone does both to the depth that we do. So, um, and I suppose in that sense, we're a hired gun. If you pay me, I'll act for you. <laughs> Call that a commercial arrangement or otherwise. Um, so from a from a manager's perspective, the key thing that they need with their owners is relationships. So, and it's surprising, like we um, will vary management rights agreements to top them up for clients every single month, you know? And you do look at, uh, some people have trouble getting top ups usually that comes back to the fact that they don't have relationships with the people they're asking to vote mm. for them. Um, but surprisingly enough, uh, some some clients come in and we sort of internally think, well, these guys are no chance, and then it just gets through. 
But even we had one uh, the other day, uh, the returning officer rang me after the meeting, because again, we all know each other as mm-hmm. you do. I didn't go to the meeting. It wasn't going to be contested. Happy days. Yeah. Um, the motion wasn't passed because it was zero zero. Right. Not a single person voted on it. <laughs> and our client had a lot. Right. They didn't go to the meeting. Oh, crazy. So they lost their top up because <laughs> they didn't vote themselves. It would have been one nil. Um, but yeah, back to topping up. And I think from a committee perspective and from a management rights perspective, absolutely there's some buildings that shouldn't have management rights mm-hmm. that have had it thrust upon them by a developer or whatever in whatever period of time um, that shouldn't be there. Doesn't mm-hmm. work, not necessary, full of owner occupiers now, et cetera, et cetera. And those are really emotional, difficult matters. But there are some buildings that do have management rights that should have management rights. And that's the then the anti-management rights brigade just saying no for the sake of no. When I think sometimes putting committees purely in charge of buildings is putting the lunatic in charge, lunatics in charge of the asylum. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's it's and for me those fights then come more down to about control. Yeah. So what it, it's control. We want to direct things. So you know, like in theory, then to me, you know, the, the normal management rights arrangement is the managers paid X dollars to do everything. And then you get into squabbles over what the duties say and what's reasonably required and how mm. specific are they and at what lawn, what depth the lawn must be cut, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In probably a vacuum, you almost your perfect management rights for me, in a sense, would be one that is a facility management style operation. So you pay me X dollars per year, whatever it is, but obviously less to do a range of things. And I will manage this thing the way you want it managed. If you want gardens there... 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trimming, hedging, cutting, whatever, no problem. I'll make it happen. You want one a fortnight, I'll make that happen too. You know, And we have seen one, it was a commercial-style agreement where really there was a base fee and then there was a uh, sort of project management fee on top as a proportion of the wages or the remuneration that was paid to all these outside contractors, which then sort of tied back to how much supervision was going on. That, to me, made some sense. But the problem from a structural perspective is that Absolutely. Bodies corporates get these agreements thrust upon them by developers. When lawyers preparing that off the plan, they've pressed print on a precedent from something that they might have used at a previous building four years ago and it's mm-hmm. been put in place three years before the thing's built and then suddenly it appears and everyone's running under it and then four years later everyone looks at it and go, hang on a minute, this might not fit. And no, it might not. No. But at that stage, um, the horse is bolted in the context of it's a contractual document, it's binding, no one can unscramble it. You've got a manager... Um, that has probably bought that business based on the income that's going to be derived from the agreement and they will fight tooth and nail to protect that. Mm -hmm. So, And I think that's probably, if there's one crucial bit of understanding a lot of committees don't have, is that's the contractual nature of the relationship you've got. Like it or not, you know, and everyone says, well, we weren't told. Well, you were told because the disclosure regime in this state mm-hmm. is extreme. Mm-hmm. No one reads it because it's extreme. You get, again, three inches worth of paperwork telling you all the things you're going to buy into. But at that stage, you're just buying the dream, three copies, press mm-hmm. hard, and away we go. Um, and you've got this agreement. And that's what you're stuck with. Yeah. So if you want to go and, um, again, this is, I suppose this is the depth of it. I was emailing a committee this morning that wants to go back and renegotiate their management rights agreement which is fine, explain to them, well, this is the commercial reality of the situation. So while you might want to ask for 40 million things, that won't fly, this won't fly, that won't fly. And I think the thing now, we're at the pointy end of they know what they want. They're about to go have their conversation with their manager, but what they want to introduce is a bunch of KPIs that includes a sort of, they want to lower the remuneration, introduce some KPIs that are then up or down bonus level, which from a manager's perspective is absolutely going to affect the capital value because the oh, caretaking absolutely. salary is not concrete. So I said to them, you're going to have to be real careful about 
what the bonuses actually are and what the disincentives are um, and what the KPIs are because KPIs are very subjective things. Mm. Is the complex clean? Has it been kept to the five-star standard that everyone expects? What is a five-star standard? Mm. What's Um, reasonable? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's, uh, I suppose, my daily existence. So that's a very active committee. Mm. Um, It's probably an inexperienced manager having met them. Um, so that'll be the next interesting conversation. So my advice to them this morning was there's no point getting me to draft this bloody rock star KPI style thing because I've flirted with it a couple of times and never actually got mm. one across the line yet because it just keeps hitting these walls. Yeah. Um, you need to go have an in-principle conversation with your manager about this is what you would like to do, get some parameters around what that's going to be, and then come back to me and I will have a crack at drafting what I think might work. And you get terms like, well, on your opening salary... And then um, CPI or mm. percentage increases yep. come on board. That starts to lead to dispute five years down the track, doesn't and it? And particularly when they're 5% increases. 5%, yeah. yeah. so those are unsustainable. So mm. uh, we had one years ago that was seven. I've had eight. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could jump up 8% every year. It'd be great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that becomes unsus- 8% become unsustainable it very does. quickly. Even five does. Yeah. So, like, to me, from a management rights perspective, what I say to managers, if we're doing a due diligence when they're buying one of these things, mm. is be aware that's what you've got. But at some stage, when you go to ask for a top-up, the committee is going to say, we want to knock that out. And if that's the, if the price you pay, in a sense, not that body corporates can charge for granting top-ups or extensions, but if part of the commercial negotiation is you can see that and go back to CPI or whatever it is um, in exchange for that guaranteed term, then that's, to me, commercially a fair arrangement. Mm, well, I was going to ask you, at what point does the body corporate try and step in to change that regime and you look for an opportunity yeah and it is your top up isn't absolutely. it absolutely yeah yep. absolutely because they need to top it up mm. because in queensland if you don't then your contract runs to zero doesn't it yes you, and they can finish at zero yeah you know, it's the same as a lease yeah. just that this is what can happen so uh, a good good management practice and certainly what we do for our management rights clients is remind them that they should be doing this thing um, when they should be doing end of financial year and all that sort of stuff. Same as exercising options because mm. they're also crucial to the ongoing mm. validity of the agreement, yes. as we know of our recent yeah. matter yesterday. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, they've got to stay on top of those things. And that's, um, again, one of the, the body corporate market can be unsophisticated. So can the management rights market. Mm. You know, like people um, are buying these businesses with whatever background they've had, public service, bloody long-term Telstra, offshore from, from wherever, um, they've never actually potentially been in business as well. So you're suddenly exposed to BAS and GST and P&Ls, and more importantly at the moment, banks. Yes. It's um, th- that banking environment I don't think is going to get any easier anytime soon as much right. as you see this morning's papers talking about we're relaxing the interest-only standards because mm-hmm. the RBA, I suppose, APRA can see what's happening to the market. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say management rights is any different from anything else. Like, But banks are all still saying they're open for business and we're all still doing deals. It's just the deals they are doing are a lot different to what they would have done 12 months ago. Absolutely. And in a management rights sense, uh, funding is tied back to the remaining tenure of an agreement. So if you've got a 10-year agreement, they might bank might give you one-year interest only and then they put you on principal and interest. So you've then got to repay over that remaining nine years the interest you owe them plus the principal divided by... the amount of principal you you owe divided by the nine years Mm -hmm. and that's after-tax money. So... Mm. Interest only has probably pumped the tyres to a degree of the management rights industry. And as banks start to compress their lending ratios, that's just slowing things down a little bit mm. as much as um, this last week we've been knocked over in the rush with new deals. So yeah. I, I wish I knew what it was. But, yeah, and, of course, we've got a federal election March, April, oh. May next year. And when that's on the radar, everyone stops. 
and you, it's hard to think we won't have a change of government this time. Normally it's sort of people stop and you know what the result's going to be. Uh, we are probably, yeah, more than likely to have a change of government this time, rightly or wrongly, um, and that will slow people down as well. So I think we're in for an interesting economic time over the next bloody six months. Yeah, and it's interesting the people that buy into management rights. Mm. You've got, yeah, as you said, you've got um, a wide range of skill level there. Mm. Even mum and dads are, will often buy into management rights, yep. um, thinking that there's, you know, a an easy way to to earn a living. You live yep. out the scheme. You do the garden and grounds, and yep. that's it. Play golf four days a week. Yeah. No. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's one of those, um, and I still cringe every time I see a management rights ad, great lifestyle choice, earn 250 grand to work three days a week. You just can't do that. Mm. It's a you tough I mean? gig, isn't it? It is a tough gig. And, yeah. and you're not going to earn that money without working. Yeah. And, and I think probably ever since the GFC rolled into town, so mm. 10 years ago, mm. people want value for money. Yeah. They want it from you. They want it from me. Um, they need to be educated around what it is that we do. You need to show them what you do. And I think mm-hmm. from a management rights perspective, a lot of that is presence. Yeah. You need to you see people. You need to communicate what it is that you're doing. Um, and again, a lot of people, particularly um, if you're not on the committee, if you're just a unit owner that bought in, particularly if you've gone to the you know the two-bit conveyancer and paid you 400 bucks for a purchase mm-hmm. and not done any due diligence whatsoever but got a transfer, you don't even know you're in a body corporate. Mm-hmm. Like how many times have you had the, oh. the email with, I've paid my rates, what are these body corporate levies? Yeah. It's like every strata manager's got them. Yeah. People buy into these things and don't understand what they are. So from a normal lot owner perspective, they don't even know management rights exist. Mm-hmm. They just think, oh, there's that guy doing the pool again. They don't know him or her has a contract for an extended period of time. CPI increases, runs a letting business on the side, and this thing has substantial capital value. So, um, and one of the things I think uh, for me from a management rights perspective that we should be offering, and when I get two seconds worth of time, I will be sort of an education service to a degree or, or a way for managers to help educate their owners about what it is they actually do because the owners don't know. And then, and then when you have someone decide that they want to carve, you know, we're paying too much in body corporate levies. I'm going to put my hand up to go on committee and cut the guts out of these levies. You get on there, there's not a single element of discretionary spending. What's the biggest line item? Caretaking salary. Yes. How do we cut that? You can't. Um, I mean, every other week I have a phone call with someone, normally on a management rights side of things, with saying the body corporate says they're going to cut my salary. They can't. Mm-hmm. That's a contract. You know, it's the same as me buying your house for 500000 I can't come back to you six weeks later and say, oh, no, make it four fifty. Yeah. That's the deal. But educating people around that, I think, would save a lot of the angst. And, and again, is that possible? I don't know. Like you, you've mentioned, as at ACAL, so the Australian College of Community Association lawyers. So that's Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the conference in Melbourne last year. And as you do, you go to the lunch break, sit mm-hmm. at a table, or sitting with a really old... Really old. Said that not disrespectfully. You must yeah. have been. <laughs> I mean, I'm mid forties and I feel old, yeah. so um, he had a bit more grey than I did. Uh, he'd been a Victorian strata lawyer effectively for forty odd years, yeah. and so we're having this sort of conversation about what's across the desk. And he said, "Frank, it never changes." Yeah, that's what I was doing in the seventies. Mm. Okay, mate. Yeah, <laughs> and and people come in and then they go out, um, and there's no, you know. Same as there's no qualifications to become a parent. There's no qualification to own a strata unit. If you want to spend the time. Uh, and understand what it is that you've bought into, then great. But if you don't, then you just fire off emails at 9 o'clock at night blaming everyone for everything without understanding the legal nature of what you've done. Mm. And that's uh, what keeps us in business. And I think will always keep us in business. And apart from 
the issue being someone's home, mm. it's, it's about money, mm. isn't it? Yep. Whenever you've got matters to do with money, mm. there's a potential dispute there. Yep. So I find some lot owners saying, hey, my levies are this much, but the one down the road looks exactly the same as this scheme, yep. yet their levies are 30% lower. Mm. How come? Cool. Go and assess what you're actually doing. So, And that, that uh, may well be part of the management rights. It may well be part of what we've got as impla- uh, replacement insurance value. It might be part of the insurance history. Like my parents live at uh, Magic Mountain, and um, that place has got three pools. Mm-hmm. So they are whinging to me the other day about the levies. So you've got three bloody pools, mm-hmm. a gym, a spa, a sauna thing. You're up a hill. You've got enormous, you're a low rise. You don't have lifts, which makes it a little bit better. But you've got an enormous facility here, and that thing requires maintenance. And even the plan that the body corporate's registered under, standard format Absolutely. versus building format, yeah. makes Who's a huge difference. Who's insuring what? Yeah, where's yeah. the maintenance cost sit? Mm. Absolutely. So and it's easy. You know, there's no real... I don't think there's as much visibility between buildings in terms of what the levies are and what's mm. provided for it. So mm. um, the same conversation I have about sinking fund called forecasts, mm. or sinking funds all the time. Mm. You know, someone will ask, what is the sinking fund balance? Great question. Mm-hmm. You tell them two hundred grand, but you unless you look at what needs to be spent or has been spent, you don't actually. It's meaningless. It's That's a right. number. You know, it could be two hundred grand, and they've done everything they need to do for the next decade. In which mm-hmm. case, it's rolled gold, or it's two hundred grand, and they haven't spent a cent, mm-hmm. and they need to spend a mill. In which case, it's carnage. Yeah. So it's sort of two sides of the same coin, um, and the same with conversations around caretaking remuneration. You know, the the typical. Uh, very unscientific way to put together a caretaking remuneration, a dollar value per lot per annum. You know, in theory, it starts at eight to twelve hundred. When they're done off the plan, the developer probably starts with what they want the levies to be, and then mm-hmm. plugs a caretaking number in yep. there that fits. Mm-hmm. No science to it. So when you actually do go and look at it in due course, whether in a market review, a statutory review, or just a general renegotiation of the thing, and you break the duties down, that leads to new duties of an agreement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But mm-hmm. you have. Again, management rights add saying dollar values per lot per annum without referencing the work that's actually required with respect yeah. to it. So high rise in the city at a thousand bucks per lot per annum versus a townhouse estate over three hectares in the suburbs oh, at thousand yeah. dollars per lot per annum is a vastly different business. Yeah. Um, and it is it's apples with apples. But making sure people actually understand that they need to compare apples with apples is the battle. So it pays someone getting into to management rights to really get some expert advice up front, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and probably um, spend some time looking at the industry and decide whether it's right for you, and understand mm. that it's um, can be a fairly intense job. Like you need mm. to be able to switch off, and I think probably, uh, I mean that applies to all of us. Like if yeah. we want to sit on our emails and look at client problems, we can do it twenty four seven. But like for me, uh, I suppose my regime is I'm happy to wake up at four thirty in the morning. Doesn't worry me that the first couple of hours of my day are the most productive hours, mm. which is why I'm telling you what I've done this morning because mm-hmm. I've done all that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I get into these things and client phone calls and emails and new quotes and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but come five o'clock, that phone goes upside down in my study, on silent, I don't look at it. Mm-hmm. That's when you switch off. And, and management rights, you need to be able to have that same discipline. You've got to find something that works for you. And I suppose permanence is a bit easier. You go into short-term or holiday, that can be 24-7. Well, uh, I mean, I certainly find there's an expectation um, amongst some committees that the caretaker is going to be on call 24-7. Yep. And that's not what their caretaker agreement says. No. So you get this black and white uh, letter of the contract battle. Mm. Yes. About what what should be done. And that's back to expectations. And for me, you know, committees want 24-7 
and, and this is for me where I get to, is why? Well, for an emergency. So what's an emergency? The building's burning down. Cool. Call QFES. There's nothing you can call them. I can call them. That's what'll happen. Ethel's dying in her unit. No one will know Ethel's dying in her unit. And if someone does, they call an ambulance. You know, there's a fight between two residents. I'm not going to go break that up. That's a police matter. Call Police Link. So that's... And and then for anything else, yes, you can ring me. But Mm -hmm. they're just, again, and back to, I suppose, we started, people's definition of urgency, people's Mm -hmm. understanding of expectations need to be managed if they're managed and controlled up front as opposed to the moment you're starting to argue about what the contract says the horse is bolted to a degree there would have been red flags probably three or six months previously that someone should have been alerted to of hang on a minute this isn't going the way it should Mm -hmm. what was that that's the time for the conversation because we know what it is when you've got a client you get that odd email that odd Mm -hmm. phone call whatever something's not right here let's deal with what is not right rather than just let it drift and hope it goes away and stick our head in the sand, because majority of times it won't. Yeah. Committees have a habit of doing that, though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, again, keeps us in business. Yeah. Um, and then they come and go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So 12 months later, we might have someone brand new. So we'll... Then those brand new people might get rid of their body corporate manager, decide they've got a lawyer mate that'll do a better job, and suddenly there's a complete new sort of uh, corporate brain in the organisation, mm. and all the old history's gone, and you've got to start again. Yeah. Um, Again, why will always be employed? Yeah, well, it's that corporate knowledge of the mm. of the scheme, and yep. I always love a committee that has long-standing members that are reasonable, that understand the building. Yep. When they sell, you often end up with no knowledge. Yep. Of the building. Yep. What happened? Mm. Why did it happen? You know, and that's mm. the whole back to the sort of no pet bottle. We'll just we'll leave it in there. We'll back off. We know the deal. But in five years' time, that bottle is still there. You're gone. Mm. I'm gone. Mm. Committee's gone someone sees the bottle and says you beauty we can refuse pets and they go and punch on when it just shouldn't be there what other bylaw issues do you find um that committees grapple with pets is a great one pets is a great one um hard flooring hard flooring is a great one um and that i think probably from our end i mean lawyers are great at overcomplicating things Mm -hmm. uh everyone's got uh, a page and a half hard flooring bylaw mm-hmm. when realistically to me it just should be back to before you install any hard flooring you've got to come and get committee's approval yeah. and then the question is whether the committee's approval is reasonable in the circumstances based on the type of flooring where the place is what they want to do where they want to put it etc etc mm-hmm. so I don't think um, everyone tries to put LNTW and acoustic ratings in bylaws and that sort of stuff and that might might or might not be right mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. Um, might or might not be right in five years time but by virtue of the fact that you've included a number, doesn't make it reasonable. Mm. And I think that's the the problem a lot of people have, you know. Um, and then of course every hard flooring bylaw has a requirement that bloody the owner must go and provide an acoustic test to the committee, which mm-hmm. is an imposition of a monetary liability, which you can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those ones. Probably the other ones that we're just taking out wholesale at the moment are these bulk supply of electricity stuff. Oh yeah, that's not what bylaws are for. That's no. monetary liabilities. That's a separate contract with the service provider, so that can all go. Uh, we had someone the other day that wanted to have a bylaw that said you can't uh, murder someone in the unit. <laughs> so, well, if we're going to start with the criminal code, where do we finish? You know, let's, let's incorporate the whole thing in. Okay. Uh, but it's really, um, I think, probably the overcomplication of things, pets. And I reckon, um, for me, something that does, and I'm interested in your views on this, because mm. I'm having this conversation mm. with you, is uh, hours of use for recreational areas. Pools, gyms, whatever it might be, you know, seven till seven, et cetera, et cetera. So... Mm. Um, and for me, 
I'm not convinced that I'm not aware that this has been litigated. So if you don't mm. shout me down here and tell me otherwise, uh, that if a pool shuts at seven, firstly, why shouldn't I be able to have a swim at 7.05 mm. if I'm not unreasonably interfering with other people's use and enjoyment? Um, or even midnight, for that matter. Mm. And the example I use is uh, my father-in-law was a police inspector, so they'd do all these um, three eight-hour shifts a day, so he'd be doing split shifts. So sometimes you'd do, like, midnight till eight, sleep eight till four, and then go back from four till midnight. Mm. That that was the whatever period of they're smashing them through. So when he does that, and he wants to come, he pays his levies, he owns his unit, he wants to come home and hop in the pool at midnight after effectively 16 hours worth of work in 24 and not jump around and splash and yahoo, why shouldn't he be able to? Yeah, and I think body corporates try and regulate and monitor the bylaws and, and impacts, but at the end of the day, it comes down to has there been an unreasonable impact on someone's use and enjoyment yep. of their lot? Yep. So again, if they can have a swim at midnight... There should not be a problem unless you've got five kids screaming. Absolutely. Bomb diving, yahooing, playing yeah. Marco Polo. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's that, um, absolutely, the statute test is that unreasonable interference, which to me always follows that there's allowed to be reasonable interference because mm. that's going to happen. You know, the analogy I use a lot for uh, clients when they come to me, you know, there's doors slamming, music mm. on, kids playing, whatever it might be, is let's go back to... If we were living in suburbia in two 405 square metre blocks and this stuff was going on, what could you do? Nothing. Not much. Exactly. So that's not dissimilar to here because that's reasonable interference. So, um, and then, of course, always with the commissioner's office proving it. Like, how do you, oh, how do you prove noise, noise transmit, uh, transmitting through floors? How do you do it? And smoke as well. Well, um, and I've done <laughs> enough seminars with the commissioner himself as he yeah. says, smoking is legal. It is. Believe it or not, smoking is legal. And how do you regulate a nebulous substance that just drifts around and through doors and things? And, yeah, yeah I agree that, um, like, I'm not a smoker. Mm. My wife's a former smoker. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you go to the MCG and there's a big mm. yellow or blue line mm-hmm. outside the stadium which you can't have a cigarette inside. Mm-hmm. You can't smoke within, I think, five or ten metres of the entrance of a school, and that's in an outdoor area. Mm. But we can be sitting in studio rooms beside each other and you can have your five-year-old daughter in there and I can be smoking away merrily and there's nothing you can do about it and she's going to get affected by that smoke but that's just the way it is yeah it's a difficult one because there's really no conclusive test objective test that you can run to show that smoking is going to be damaging to such an extent Mm. and impinging on your your uh, enjoyment of your lot yep Uh, again it's like noise unreasonably unreasonably yep yeah I think there's a number of cases uh, that talk about okay if it goes through the air conditioning system and, and all that kind of thing. And, mm. But, yeah, it's it's a very difficult thing um, to actually prove yes. at the end of the day. Yes, yeah. and that's where it starts. It, mm. it, you've got to be able to prove these things. It's mm. fine to make allegations, but you've got to be able to prove them, and how do you prove them? Mm. Um, smoking's that, noise is that. Um, I mean, even you look at some of the pet decisions in terms of dander and reaction and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So there was one uh, down the Gold Coast not that long ago where... Uh, the body corporate was held that it was reasonable to refuse the pet because the pet dander, the resident manager who's all over the building, might have had an allergic reaction. Mm. So I can't help but think that hasn't been run properly on the part of the mm. um, the applicant because, well, which part of might yeah. is going to? And what can we do to sort of manage this in the meantime? So mm. and as best I can tell in that one, there wasn't actually proper medical evidence put into it, no. So, but it's just rolled over. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, it's an objective test. Mm. 
and you need to come up with some expert report, yep. which can be challenged yep. with another expert. Yep. A bit like That's um, what experts do. <laughs> bit like uh, um, you know lot entitlements, uh, and there's another one. Uh, you know, well, we've got the review of the body corporate laws in place. And uh, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening, mm. and it hasn't for a while. No, um, no. But no. Uh, we're hoping for some good changes. Things like uh, debt recovery costs, I think, are a big one. Yes. Um, maybe imposition of a scale of costs. Yes. And some way to recover uh, in a more simplified way, because there's a lot of um, room for opinion in the uh, magistrate mm. as yes. to what's reasonable. Yes. How do you deal with that when you're billing? We tend not to go um, – so we don't have a big debt recovery practice as much as that's coming. Um, at the moment, we're sort of more helping uh, people come to us who've got a bill for 150 grand chasing 10 grand's worth of yeah. body corporate levies, which to me is just unethical. Yeah. I can't understand um, – and there's probably one at the moment that we may well try to run on that basis mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the body corporate not acting reasonably in relation to the incurring of all of these costs. Mm-hmm. Because if you come to me saying, I'm chasing 10 grand, Frank, my first thing is going to say, Mark, there's almost no point engaging me to do it because you're going to spend more on me recovering that than uh, what you're seeking. So spending 150 chasing 10 is just yeah. commercially insane. Yeah. And it's only happened because it's other people's money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I agree. The debt recovery stuff can be done a whole lot better. But our process, um, we haven't had one go the distance yet, even... Uh, and I suppose maybe it's because we're not treating it like a production line. Mm. And it's not still that expensive. It's not that hard. Like we had a, f- a little four-lotter where uh came to me, the body corporate manager said, this guy's really difficult. Fine, I'll ring him. Mm-hmm. Rang him. So he's in the professional services industry, so clearly thought I was needing his services in some way. Oh, no, mate, I'm ringing, chasing this. Oh, well, I'm not happy with the committee doing this and the body corporate should have done that. So, well, mate, it's very simple. You can put your hand up to get on the committee and you can vote against it. But in the meantime, you've got to pay it. Yeah. Okay, I'll get your plan. Week later, no plan. Mate, where's the plan? And then it was paid off in two weeks. And then, again, six months later, back hasn't paid. Body corporate manager said, well, here we go again. And uh, I just emailed him, said, do we have to do this again? And it got paid. So just like if you manage it like that, um, you don't go and rack up 150 grand chasing it. And that's not in everyone's interest either. No. It might be in the lawyer's interest. But, yeah, it... um, yeah, but in terms of the strata law reforms, there's so much stuff in there that would make um, life a much easier for everyone, mm. not the least of which is electronic voting and oh, communications yeah. properly and all that sort of stuff. And I know one of the um, – we did a seminar where Jared Blay was speaking. I think I don't think he was the Attorney General at that stage. I think he was in opposition. But um, we are talking about the lot entitlements one and uh, – and actually, we're talking about forced sale, you know, forced sale, oh, yeah. 75, 80%, whatever it right, might be. Right. I think he said if, if that came across his desk, he would instruct the bureaucrats to kick it into the long grass because <laughs> he's not going to be on the front page of the Sunday Mail oh. having kicked old Aunt Ethel out of oh, her home yeah. of 100 years. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and lot entitlements is that same sort of emotional debate. It's rich yeah. versus poor. It's the yeah. penthouse owner versus mm-hmm. the bloody ground floor dweller. Mm-hmm. And as much as um, there's so many buildings out there that um, still have inequitable lot entitlements, oh. I just uh, I don't know whether they'll do anything about it. I think what QUT's come up with is really fair, mm. but it is unscrambling a lot of eggs. Oh, absolutely. Well, I saw one the other day, equal lot entitlements, and they've got a range of one to four bedroom units. It, mm. uh, yeah. It, it, um, <laughs> it'll, and then it's even worse, I suppose, when you start adding residential and commercial. So yeah. these days they'd be volumetric and mm-hmm. uh, all that sort of stuff. But um, 
and probably the, the example I always use of this for, for how things were versus what they are now is Victoria Square on the Gold Coast because you've got residential with pool on podium mm. level, then you've got a, a level one offices, then you've got a whole bunch of uh, retail restaurants on the mm. ground floor all living in the one happy harmony. Yeah. So how do you deal with the insurance issues, the lot of entitlements between them and all that sort of stuff other than by this very clunky, there's the system? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess you'll have a building management statement sometimes that regulates these different types of entities yeah. but even there it's it's well, difficult to try and, uh, and get yeah well you've fairness, got, yeah really, well you've got it? more flexibility in terms of how the things are, are created but uh that's a great source of work for us at the moment yeah. so um we've got one well the two examples i use uh one up on the sunny coast where residential commercial so you know and in terms of the budgeting for what the commercial contributes it's tied back to being 10% of the residential's budget. So it's not based on use, it's not based on air, it's just 10% of the residential budget. Doesn't exclude sinking fund. So when the residential needs to spend a bucket load of money and they go raise a special levy, the commercial's chipping in for it. Um, And that relates to the pool, which the commercial doesn't use. So how fair is that? Um, And the other one uh, is very lazy drafting from a legal perspective. The proportions will be as agreed. Right. So what happens when you don't agree? Good question. No mechanisms there. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah. And look, uh, I think body corporates are confronting a lot of practical issues. I'm, I'm thinking of towing um, mm. as well. Yep. What's your view on how towing should be handled when you've got a committee that says, we want to tow that vehicle? What are the implications? Well, there? as it sits right now, go get your commissioner's order. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like if you don't like that, then um, go for your life. But you're taking the, well, the law into your own hands, literally, and there's going to mm. be consequences. Mm. So I think the proposal for the reform in terms of being able to delegate that decision to an individual member to make it, provided they give notice and then do it yeah. on short notice, does make sense. Yeah. And towing, I think, there's, again, Chris Hines would say, it's a very it can be a very emotional thing because it's someone's possession. You know, yeah. it's their car. It might be their pride and joy. It might be their their workspace they might have all their gear in the boot mm. they might have, you know, and so when that disappears world war three starts yeah um, and we still have inquiries every other day with my car got towed what do i do no one goes gets the orders and i think i say from a management rights perspective the managers need to be very careful mm. not getting caught up in just yeah. doing what the committee tells them to do because that's participating in the same unlawfulness yeah um, but again a lot of managers don't understand and this is again part of the intricacies of the legislation mm. they don't understand that you can't do it yeah you know there's no self-help remedy and mm. um, the bccm act so when someone does bring a pet in without approval the correct way is to actually force them to go and make the application then you approve it on the conditions you do that are reasonable and then you've got the rules you don't get the master key, go in there, grab the cat by the scruff of the neck and take it to the RSPCA. Because mm-hmm. that's the same thing as towing a car without approval. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, visitor parking, you know, you can only park here for an hour. Well, no, I'm a visitor. What is a visitor? Well, a visitor to me is someone that doesn't own and doesn't occupy. Mm-hmm. So um, I go down and visit my parents at Magic Mountain. I do that relatively regular. I'm a visitor. I can yeah. park in the visitor car park. Yeah. And that's what it's for. I guess it's always a matter of degree uh, when you're looking at a circumstance like that. Mm. Um, are they, well, what, what is a visitor? I don't, mm. I don't believe the BCCM legislation no. defines it. No, it defines mm. occupiers and owners. So it doesn't define to, visitors. So you've got to take the ordinary, reasonable meaning mm. for what a visitor is. Mm. But then you might have the, the grandson who's staying there for four months, taking up the yep. visitor parking. Yep. 
And are they, and are they we down are they to a visitor? Yeah. Well, it um, are we then down to where's your electoral roll address? Yeah, exactly. What have you got on your driver's license? Yeah. 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 So and, and where is the line? Yeah. You know, and it's always um, from a, I suppose, an ASIC perspective with short term letting. When when is where is the line for short term letting? Mm. Is it two months? Is it two weeks? You know, yeah. I think the line we sort of get to for, is three months, but I don't know why that's set in stone. You know, it's one mm. of those things that always seems to have been there. So, yeah. um, and probably from a legal perspective, that comes back to when people or when owners don't necessarily have day to day control of their own investment. So, overnight stuff, absolutely, they don't. Three months, do they? Mm. Don't know. So it's a fine line be- between being so overly prescriptive that you put mm. time frames on everything mm. versus having the ultimate freedom and not knowing where you stand. Yes. So, And that feeds into management rights as well, mm. scope mm. of duties. Yep. It feeds into bylaws, how yep. prescriptive are your bylaws. Mm. And then you're trying to overlay the uh, interpretation of the legislation, which mm. requires your adjudication decisions. Yep. And always allows a decision that's just and equal to the circumstances, regardless of what it might have been decided previously. Exactly. So um, absolutely an exciting jurisdiction mm. and one full of challenges. Mm. How do you meet the daily challenges of trying to be novel with how you solve problems? From a business perspective, it's uh, what we're really trying to do is to, um, you wouldn't call it automate, but we're trying to systemise the day-to-day stuff we do day in, day out, so that that doesn't require as much manual labour and thinking, which then allows us to segment out the stuff that does. Mm. So, um, you know, lawyers are great with precedents, but we've got um, practice management software that allows us to do a range of things. So there's a bunch of vanilla stuff that happens that we don't need to put a whole lot of thought into because we know the way it's going to work. And then when we do get those out-of-the-box ones, we've got the time to focus on those. Mm. To sit down and go have a coffee and have a natter about, well, what about this one? Mm. You know, do we have to do this? Could we attack this this way? Is that, um, you know, conversation we have at the moment is, uh, again, back to technicalities. Um, is it of material significance? Are we acting reasonably if we do this thing? What about if we do that? And you sort of, and so you get a bit deeper in it, I suppose. Mm. So um, when we get a new decision out, you know, there's an email around the nine of us, one of us will grab it and say, right, this is what I think. Here's mm-hmm. the paragraphs to look at. This is what it means in practice. And we have a little natter about it that mm-hmm. way. So, because it's very easy to not see the forest for the trees, because yeah. you can sit there and just grind away and deal with whatever it might be. And I don't know, in terms of time, 10 o'clock here, and I've got 38 emails that have come in mm-hmm. and a couple of text messages there since we sat down. Yeah. And, and that, that will be people copying me in on things, but also be a bunch of other stuff, new inquiries, client callback, and that sort of stuff. And when you get caught, in that day-to-day grind, sometimes you don't have the chance to think. So yeah. you've got to be able to do that and turn that around effectively because that's the business, but then you've also got to be able to step out of the detail and be able to just stop, calm your farm. What are we doing? Mm. How are we doing it? Should we do something differently? Um, and that's – but it's a constant battle. And that's a good that's a good way of putting it, calm your farm. Mm. It applies to so many pieces of the puzzle here, yep. the committees, the caretaker, yep. the manager, yep. the lawyer even. Yeah, mate, the 24-hour rule. It yeah. really is. If you get something that winds you up, park it for 24 hours. It is never, usually, short of it being a Supreme Court injunction for yeah. something, you're not going to need to respond to it that day. And I use that all the time with defamation. So um, no matter who, managers, committees, clients, lot owners, whatever, I've just got this and they're calling me this and this is what I want to do and, you know, concerns, notice and blah, blah, blah. Okay, stop. Mm-hmm. Send me the email, send me the letter. 
I will call you back in three days. No, no, no. I'm serious. No one will read it. You know, you get something go out in an AGM agenda. There's a chairman circular that has as the 16th paragraph a little sledge about the manager. We weren't really happy with Mark's performance this year. Client sees it, blows up, blah, blah, blah. I said, stop. You tell me how many people come to you and mention that in a week's time, and then we'll do something about it. And yeah. no one ever does. Then the heat goes out of it, and they realise, whoa, yeah, actually, that's the case. But it is. It's never that bloody urgent. Yeah. Everyone gets, and that's that emotional element again, and that's where your knee-jerk response, particularly if you're doing it late at night on mm. email, you start copying people in, it just escalates. Yeah, it so if you just stop, and even from that 24-hour rule, in, dead set internally, new lawyers start, that's the first thing I give them. Mm. You're going to get stuff from other lawyers that will wind you up. You'll get stuff from clients that will wind you up. It's you don't need to deal with it then. Yeah. A bit of mental space, yep. breathing space. Yep. Sleep on it. I mean, yeah. by all means, draft what you want to send. Draft the most scathing thing you can. Be as angry as you like and look at it the next day and it'll be different. Yeah. Um, and it, you might, might not even respond. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I think probably not responding sometimes winds the person that sent you up even more. <laughs> if you're looking for the niggle because yeah. they know you've got it yeah. and you're completely ignoring it. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually more fun sometimes. <laughs> yeah. uh, Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board today. Uh, thank you so much. You bring such a wealth of knowledge to Strata Law in Queensland and yeah, it's been great having a chat on a great many things that you specialise in. Cool, mate. Thank you very much for having me along. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Cheers, mate. That's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Let's Talk Strata podcast. For your fortnightly dose of Strata insights, stimulating discussion with leading Strata professionals, and to catch up on previous episodes, subscribe to the podcast through letstalkstrata.com.au.